Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 168 of the show with Ben St. Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at Benny Saint, B-E-N-N-Y-S-A-I-N-T. Thank you very much for being a part of the show. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. Thank you to everybody who supported the show and helped the show come to air today, which is specifically the people on Patreon, patreon.com slash Osher. If you want to support the show for as little as five bucks a month, you get access to exclusives that nobody else can get. And I am then able to pay my audio producer, Andy Marr, and Haley Van Spagna, who is my production coordinator, the master of my calendar, the ruler of my timeline, the all-knowing and all-seeing controller of my days. I like to pay her to do that. And uh, those two people help me make this show for you. So if you could help me pay them, that'd be really 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 good i hope your week was great i I should really disclose where i am and why this sounds kind of funny today i'm in south africa in a hotel room in the middle of the bush while my wife sits behind me on a hotel room bed and plays candy crush and (laughs) she's given me the stink eye that i've just disclosed (laughs) that she's just discovered this brand new game it's really great (laughs) she's giving me the finger right now um but yeah, I'm um, helping out with uh, the Australian production of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I'm going into the jungle this week to do some interesting things with the crew who are already in there. Um, it's super exciting to come and be a part of it. Um, it's always great to you know be a part of a production that you don't really do, and it's always great to learn something. And uh, It took us a, a, a quite a while to get here. Audrey and I were uh, stuck on the tarmac coming out of Sydney, and then something went amiss with the plane and then they decided 
you got to get off the plane, then you got to get back on the plane, welcome back on the plane, guess what, none of your luggage is here, uh, so you're going to get to South Africa, but your luggage isn't, uh, they had to unload everything, and um, so right now I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt, and um, that's too big, a pair of pants that are three sizes too big, and a pair of undies I grabbed from a store in the town, that's down the road from where we are, um, but you know, it's all good. It was really nice that I was able to bring Audrey with me. Um, I I don't like travelling for work as much as I used to now that Audrey and Georgia are in my life. It, it kind of sucks because then you're away and you don't get to hang out with these two wonderful people that bring so much fun and, and life to my days and, to be honest, also help me remain far more together than I normally am. I just... It's nice having some accountability around these two wonderful ladies, and uh, I'm just really grateful I was able to bring Audrey on this on this trip, and that Grandma was able to look after Gigi. Um, so it's it's really nice. Uh, it's good. It's really good. Um, I hope you're okay in Australia. The heat wave that was absolutely cooking the East Coast was absolutely bonkers, absolutely bonkers, but not quite as bonkers as some of the people in the Australian Parliament. If you're not from Australia, um, we had a really interesting day and in that I think the it was a day that saw the eastern seaboard of Australia get hit with temperatures some 7 to 10 degrees Celsius above what used to be the average for this time of year, um, maybe even more. And our treasurer, uh, Scott Morrison, showed up in Parliament that day, holding a lump of coal, passing a lump of coal around, saying, don't be afraid of it, coal's great, and just peddling the absolute dishonesty that renewable energy is, is a bad path to follow in Australia, the country that sees more sun and wind than anywhere. Um, and it, it really, really fucked me up, to be honest, because I just, I just wanted to slap my forehead so hard because I just can't understand and I'd like to I would like to understand what would cause someone who's seemingly educated and possibly you know accepts all kinds of science around medicines this person may have taken or I don't know metallurgy that has created the car that he drives or other kinds of peer-reviewed science that have led to all kinds of wonderful things in his life yet ignoring the peer-reviewed science that is clearly saying, hey, this massive weather event caused by, among other things, burning fucking coal. Um, how big a weather event do we need for the majority of our country to see that climate change is happening all around us and that renewables are away out of this? How far behind does our economy have to fall when other nations are being driven by free or near-free power while we're still digging up and burning coal? We have a, a, a Prime Minister that ran uh, for leadership or ran for the job on a slogan, jobs and growth. Well, shit, Malcolm. I saw two different articles this week in the US. There's, there's now more jobs and growth in the renewable energy sector than there is in oil, coal and gas combined. I mean, shit. How much more jobby and grubby do you want it to get, Malcolm? I'd rather that we didn't wait until a chunk of Antarctica the size of New Zealand breaks off and Melbourne and most of the Gold Coast start getting inundated with storm surges every summer. That'd be nice to avoid that. Um, it does get me down. 
and I, and Audrey goes, "What's wrong?" And I say, "I tell her what's wrong." She's like, "Oh." And she just really wonderfully reminds me that I can't control the world, and you know, I can only control how I am to her and Gigi and the other people around me. And I just do what I can, do the best I can every day. Just try to be kind to people because that's all I can do. And uh, try not to slap my forehead too much. Because in the end, it just hurts me. <laughs> Slapping my forehead. Scott Morrison doesn't give a shit that I'm upset. Doesn't care at all. Anyway. On a brighter note, let me tell you about my guest today. I'm really happy that, particularly after last week, a lot of people really enjoyed the show with Michael Beveridge. Um, and so I decided to run this one with Ben St. Lawrence because it's of a similar vein. And I certainly hope it'll keep the momentum up with whatever you started last week. Um, ben St. Lawrence is an Australian middle distance runner. He's uh, prim primarily the 5,000 and 10,000 metre. He's a two-time Olympian. And he's an all-round, very, very interesting guy. Ben and I met at a story club show, uh, which is the show that uh, happens at the Giant Dwarf Theatre, the Chasers Theatre in um, Redfern in Sydney. And one of his friends came up and said, you should get my friend Ben on. He's a runner. He's got a really interesting story. And I said, great, where is he? And they went and got Ben and we exchanged email addresses. We managed to make this happen. Ben's not the first Olympian that I've had on this show, but however, his story, in particular, his triumph over adversity and the refocus of his life is one definitely worth hearing. He came to our old place in Bondi just before we moved out and we talked about finding the thing you were really good at and finding out that you were also quite good at drinking heavily and sleeping in and then deciding that you'd prefer to do one and not the other and the path that he took to get him from that to being an Olympian. It's a pretty good story. I'm glad that we can bring it to you today. You can find him on Twitter at Benny Saint, B-E-N-N-Y-S-A-I-N-T. Let him know you heard him here. And enjoy this conversation with Ben St. Lawrence. Thanks for coming around. No worries. Thanks Happy to heaps. be here. Mate, I'm, I'm glad you can be here. We, uh, by the time this airs, we'll have left this place for a long time. Oh, it's a shame. It's a beautiful view. It is, but we, we rent it. Yeah. We rent the view, and I, I, I try not to wince in pain every time I watch how much money goes out of my account <laughs> yeah, I can to imagine. rent this place. Um, I don't know. There was a time probably when rents were somewhat compatible with what a mortgage would be minus a deposit. Yeah. You know? But I think that time has gone. Yep. Yeah, property in Sydney is getting a bit crazy. Yeah. What part of the city do you live in? Oh, I live in Kensington at the moment, so okay. not too expensive. A lot of development going up there at the moment. Yeah. Um, when the light rail goes in, I'm sure it'll be even higher. Sort of inland from Maroubra, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so near, yeah, on, on the outskirts of Centennial Park. So I've lived all around Sydney, but generally within running distance of Centennial Park, I spend a lot of time in there on my feet. But um, It is, a tr as a cyclist, it's a truly, truly incredible thing that this city has. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, to have I, that expanse. Yeah, yeah. I could probably run through there with my eyes closed. I've covered so many Ks over the years, but um, never get sick of it. And whenever I go overseas, uh, you know, I spend quite a bit of time overseas. I come back and, and that first run back in Centennial Park, it always calms the nerves a bit and makes me feel at home. Yeah. There's a, there's a few different options in there as well. You can go right around the fence line. You can go around the... The, the tarmac, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit, bit of something in there for everyone. And, and there are points where you wouldn't believe you're a few k's from the city, you know. You're on a, a rough single track surrounded by bush and, you know, you've got native birds and everything. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like 
I've had the very good fortune to have gone to New York a number of times for work and um, when I was still running, the opportunity to, you know, if you had an hour, just go and do a quick loop. It's just yeah. like Central Park. Yeah, Central Park's beautiful. It's just something else. I ran through there one day on Christmas, ran through on Christmas Day one time. It was freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas Day, geez, I've never been there that time of year. I've been oh, there usually in spring, early yeah. summer, but uh, yeah, what are you doing? It's the New York Marathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got got some it's friends like this running weekend, that. Isn't it? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, um, some friends running that, and obviously Indigenous Marathon Project. Yeah. They're heading over there, so yeah, yeah I'll, I'll definitely be watching that with interest, and it's on my bucket list of races to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. How are you involved with uh, the Indigenous Marathon Project? Uh, so I'm one of the ambassadors for the charity. Uh-huh. Um, so I. I guess I know Deke going back, you know, being a, a Australian yeah. running legend, I started meeting him as I was coming up through the ranks. And, and then uh, I had a housemate here in Sydney oh, a number of years ago. Uh, he was a fellow runner and he ended up um, working for a couple of years as the, the coach for the Indigenous Marathon Project. So right. a guy called Tim Rowe. So, I've been running with Tim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Tim and I are good mates, used to be housemates. And so, yeah, when they were establishing the, the first round of uh, ambassadors, he asked if I'd like to get involved. Yeah. And it's a charity that... You know, I'm so glad I got started mm. with, and and whenever I'm able to help out, I do. And even yeah. if it's just mentoring some of the some of the runners, giving some words of advice, going running with them when I can, or yeah. um, even when they leave the program, if they want to stay in touch and and yeah, I met pick Tim, my brain. Anytime. I met Tim just just as my uh, just as I, I tore the labrum in my left hip. Oh no! Well, and you I, can blame Tim for that. Then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. I might have to hit you up for a good <laughs> orthopod because I was. I was on set yesterday because uh, I was thinking as I was coming here today, um, I your event is the 10,000, 5 and 10, and I, for years, I, I, I kept a level of fitness where 10K a day was just my thing. Yeah. It was an easy one. It was twice as long as you take to do it, you know, <laughs> just half an hour out, half an hour back, and that was it, you know, and that was my... My stability, but then when my hip went and I haven't been able to run so much, I'm, I'm kind of lost without it, yeah. especially when I travel. So I used to just throw the shoes and shorts in a bag yeah. and any new city becomes your own city within an hour. Yeah, that's definitely the beauty of running is that in terms of time efficiency um, and, yeah, minimal equipment needed, yeah, you can just get out and run anywhere. And I'm probably a bit like you. I've had some injuries over the years and, you know, when it gets taken away from me, I, I realise how much I rely on it, not just for competition and you know make a bit of a livelihood from it but also just for my mental health and for sleep quality and just feeling like my day's being productive um, yeah yeah that's uh yeah i think anyone who can run i can't see why they don't it's, yeah uh, yeah how old were you when you someone first went you know what man you can you can do this oh i reckon i mean i did like like a lot of aussie youngsters i did little a's as a young a little athletic yeah little athletics so oh, yeah. um i don't remember anyone ever saying oh you could be you know, really good at this sort of thing. But I do remember uh, we did the city to surf when I was eight years old and um, I grew up up in the Blue... Eight. Yeah. I grew up in the Blue Mountains and so for us it was this big trip down to the Big Smoke with uh, with family and some of my mum's workmates and, uh, you know, we had to get up at, I don't know, it felt like three in the morning or something yeah. to get down on, on time and, uh, yeah, it was... So my mum was going to run with my sister and then one of my mum's workmates was going to run with me and... I remember asking after a while, uh, do you mind if we stop holding hands because you're going a bit too slow for me? And this guy considered himself a pretty decent runner and apparently I just went running off and finished and at the end asked, oh, you know, wasn't there meant to be a hill called Heartbreak Hill? Apparently I hadn't noticed Heartbreak Hill. And so, <laughs> yeah, that was eight years old and, um, 
yeah, people said to you, yeah, you might, might, be, might be able to go to the Olympics one day, kind of joking around or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, I ended up doing a bit of running through primary school, um, won the school cross country, that sort of thing. And uh, I remember I, won, I must have won it one year. So the next year they said, oh, do you want to run with the older kids, you know, a year older? And so I ran with those kids and beat those kids. And then I remember there was a, uh, a high school cross country carnival while I was still in primary school. And I went to this really small sort of quite alternative school that wasn't usually into sports. So they said, yeah, let's chuck this primary kid in this local zone, uh, high school cross country. And I ended up winning that as well. And so, yeah, I think from that age onwards, it was running was, right. was my talent. And I did a lot of other sports. I raced BMX and did a bit of swimming and uh-huh. played basketball and that sort of thing. But yeah, running was always the one that I thought I would be good at when okay. I was older. Two things. I want to ask you about the alternative school, but I remember the first foot race I went in, which was the City to Surf, which starts in the middle of the, well... At one eastern edge of the city centre of Sydney and there's 14 kilometres down here to Bondi Beach where we are and it's the largest timed foot race in the world. It's, I think, it's got to be 100,000 people by now. Well, they get, I think they get over 80,000 entries. At least. And then <clears throat> there's a bit of attrition with people who thought it might have been a good idea and don't actually show yeah. up on the day. So I think around 60,000 people finish it's it. So, yeah, ginormous. It's, yeah. it's ginormous. And yeah. I will never forget I'd done all my training and... It was the first time I'd started in a pack like that and I'll never forget what happened to my brain when the gun went off and all of my plans for how slow I'd go and how much I'd pace myself went out the window. My heart rate's going through the roof and I'm charging up William Street. <laughs> I'm about two kilometres in going, I've got to slow down and I can't make this. Yeah. What's it like being eight, being eye to crotch with 50,000 people, not being able to see where you're going? must have been terrifying. Well, I, I mean, I don't remember it being terrifying. No? I, um, I remember it being pretty exciting. And yeah. I mean, I think, I guess times have changed that an eight, eight-year-old kid's just allowed to run off into 60,000 people yeah. or however many it was. And, yeah, we'll find him at the end. I think we had a meeting spot worked out. But I remember we started in one of the second or third groups, like mm. back with, with some of the slower people. So I think the whole way I was just weaving in and out of people, jumping mm. up on the gutter. And, yeah, I, I just remember it being this amazing thing that I, I fell in love with. And mm. um, I think it was... I think it was 20 years later I, I went back in 2010 and finally won it. <laughs> so for me, that was a huge thing. You know, I've, I've yeah. achieved a few things in my career but that will go down as one of the greatest yeah. just because for me it was always this huge event, this big race and it took me three goes to win it and, uh, yeah, crossing that line down there in Bondi first is something I'll never forget. Because so. you're up against some of the, the best in the world. They fly out here for that. Well, that year it was, it was just a really strong domestic, um, domestic race so it was – Commonwealth Games in Delhi. Don't understand. Stop being so Aussie about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but I did beat uh, I beat the three guys that represented Australia at the marathon that year in the Commonwealth Games a couple of months later. And at the time, I was a track 5K guy, and it's usually usually favours the the more half marathon marathon guys. So I I wasn't tipped to win it, but I snuck away and won it by one second from Michael Shelley, who went on to win silver at the Commonwealth Games later that year. So yeah, it wasn't a, a dud field, but. Yeah, I wouldn't say I was laced with, uh, you know, the talented But Kenyans still quite, a, quite a sprint to the end. Yeah, man. yeah, it was a great way to win it too. <laughs> Left it right to the last 50 metres. So. Wow, that would have been amazing. Oh, what was, was awesome. the time? Uh, 41 minutes around about. So, yeah. <laughs> 14 kilometres. Yeah. In 41 minutes. Yeah. So that, that is like uh, a, that's nearly a sprint the whole way. Felt like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we went to the... Uh, went to the sort of awards VIP party afterwards and you're allowed to bring in five of your friends. And I had about 50 friends and family down there. So we, um, I got my five, my five friends in and then we realised that if I passed the trophy over the back, uh, the back fence, 
they could swing around and if someone came walking in with a trophy, they just assumed that they'd won some other award so they could get five of their friends in. So I think I ended up getting about 40 of my friends into the open bar uh, party afterwards. So we had a bit of fun in there. (laughs) So... When you were coming up through high school with that kind of, and, you know, I'm interested now because I have a high school age kid, uh, having that kind of discipline of training each week, how does that change? Or well, it's only, you can only go off your own high school experience, but how did that see, what did that give you in high school that you didn't see other kids have? Well, I guess I'm a bit of a different story in that at, at, at a high school age, I didn't have the dedication or the time management skills or the, the level of concentration to, to be a really good runner. So I was a good runner and I got by on a bit of natural talent. But I think being involved in sport was definitely, definitely helpful. For me, you know, from a small town in the Blue Mountains, I would make the state cross-country team every year. So then we would travel away to nationals and you'd get that real team bonding and you'd get to meet kids from all around Australia and that sort of thing. And I think all the way through my career, the people you meet and the places you travel are probably one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of running. Um, But yeah, through high school, I wasn't the best student and definitely not the best athlete. And I did get led astray or not not led astray. I went down a few um, paths that we often do in high school and was heavily into binge drinking and partying and that sort of thing. But I guess... If I hadn't had running to sort of pull me back every now and then, maybe I would have gone much further down those paths. So uh, my idea was always have a bit of fun in high school and then when you finish high school, take running seriously, you know, really try and make the Olympics, see what I could do. Um, Unfortunately, I went to, or fortunately, whichever way you look at it, I went to a university out at Bathurst um, and it was a nice social university uh, and instead of focusing on my running... Um, I ended up getting, yeah, even more carried away into the social side of things. So. <laughs> McClay, that one? Uh, it was Charles Sturt Uni Charles at Sturt. Bathurst, so it used to be called Mitchell College. Mitchell, um, that's it, yeah, the Mitchell Mafia. Yeah. So, yeah, the Mitchell that's Mafia. Yeah. yeah, pretty much everyone. In Australia, if you work in broadcasting, pretty luckily you've been to that, yeah, that uni. Yeah, I can't really turn the TV or radio on without bumping into someone that I went to uni with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first year of uni out there, it was the year 2000, and, you know, the Olympics were on in Sydney, and it was this... Sport, sport, sport. But um, and I had a coach by correspondence who was writing me my programs, and I was just not doing it, and I felt guilty all the time, and I was hungover and this and that. And so, instead of quitting drinking to focus on running, I ended up quitting running so that I could focus on drinking <laughs> and take that guilt out a different way. And the idea was to have one year of enjoying enjoying university, getting a good education, but having a lot of fun. But yeah, once I I sort of let go of running. That year turned into two, yeah. turned into three. I put on a lot of weight, got extremely unhealthy. And, yeah, it wasn't really until I, I guess I kind of hit a rock bottom that I, I started getting active again. And initially it was just to, to get healthy. You know, I bought a bike and started trying to ride places, joined a gym, you know, just, just trying to get, get healthy again. And uh, I started... How unhealthy are we, are we talking here? Oh, like I was getting sick a lot. I was probably 20 kilos heavier than I am now. I was out drinking a lot um yeah treating my body like a garbage dump basically and yeah. i think for a couple of years i'd gotten away with it because i was such a healthy you know active person uh-huh. as a youngster that i could sort of treat my body like shit and it would somehow bounce back and bounce back but then eventually it stopped bouncing back and then so what was the moment that you went that's it i'm done <sighs> i think there was a couple like, there were just a couple of moments where i'd wake up not exactly sure what had happened the night before i remember one that i i tell people i woke up and I was in this very small, very dark room and I could taste blood and there was something, I I had gravel in my mouth and then I realised it wasn't a very small room, my head was inside an esky and uh, I took it off and I just had this terrible feeling that 
last night hadn't gone so well. I looked around and I was in a house. I didn't even know where I was. And it turned out, it, you know, I'd just been an absolute piece of shit the night before, getting in fights with my friends. And I'd, yeah, been found asleep in this person's front yard and they'd taken me in. And, yeah, obviously I'd gotten a little ill, so they'd given me an esky and somehow it'd end up on my head overnight. But So that was one of them. But I think, yeah, for me it just it was at the point where I, I think I looked in the mirror and just thought, who's this guy, you know, he's pretty fat, he looks unhealthy, he probably couldn't run to save his life, you know, not playing any sport out till all hours of the night, multiple nights of the week. I had a lot of good friends at the time, but also every now and then I'd look around and I'm just thinking, who are these people that I'm, I'm hanging out with? I've got nothing in common with them. And it turned out I probably did at the time, but I didn't feel like I did. So. Drinking. Drinking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I remember I just, um, yeah, I just made a decision like, all right, I've got to get healthy. And so... Yeah. I started thinking about some of the things that I liked doing. It was swimming and riding a bike and, mm. you know, I think I started playing a bit of touch footy and fortunately I had a job in a bar at the time so that allowed me to still go out because I had massive FOMO. I was always – I wanted to be out. I didn't mm. want to be at home. I was always worried about missing out on things. So, yeah, it took me a while to – you know, I'd have a really good week and then massive blowout on the weekend and mm. then I'd, I'd feel really guilty about that and then I'd get going again. It might be two weeks of healthy living and then big blowout and – I realised that I kind of needed to change where I was, so I, I left uh, Bathurst, moved to Sydney, and that, that's when things sort of started getting mm. rolling. I was living more of a healthy lifestyle, and I still couldn't quite break free of those weekend binge sessions. Um, so I ended up moving up to far north Queensland with a mate of mine who was up there and started selling pay TV door-to-door, um, commission only. So I was on my feet all day. In the Ostar van? Active. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the yeah, van. Yeah. So wow. we, were, we were door knockers. Listeners probably hate door knockers, but um, it was an interesting existence. And I actually think that that helped me shed some, some weight. I was on my all feet walking. walking all the time. Yeah. And live, we were living in um, Palm Cove up near Port Douglas. It was a beautiful spot to live. And yeah, that just helped me really break free of all of the, mm. the, the bad habits and the connections mm-hmm. that I had in, in Sydney. And so, um, yeah. Sydney and Bathurst and Yes, yeah, so I was training. I still wouldn't say I was training like an athlete, but I was training like a healthy individual. And yeah. I remember on a couple of those runs, I I would just feel amazing. Like I was thinking, geez, I must be running really fast here. I'm, I'm getting quite fit. And so I started thinking about getting into some races again. And with this selling Oddstar stuff, we ended up moving down to Victoria to run our own territory of it uh, down in the Gippsland, um, down near Traralgon, that sort of area. And that was in 2006 while the Commonwealth Games were on down in Melbourne. And so... We decided to go in and watch a few of the events and, uh, yeah, I remember watching Craig Mottram run the 5K down there, taking it to the Africans, running one of the greatest championship races of all time. He ended up with silver but I still get goosebumps thinking about it and I just I just remember watching that and also seeing guys that I used to compete with in high school out there wearing the green and gold running for their country and I'd kind of been through this whole up and down and around journey and I was sitting there with a mate of mine who... Not an athlete at all, but knew that I wanted, you know, had been one when I was young and he'd probably heard me every New Year's Day for 10 years saying, all right, this year I'm going to get back into my running. And I remember saying, all right, I think I'm going to try and make the next Commonwealth Games. And he kind of laughed at me and said, mate, if you make the next, because he'd heard it so many times, he said, Mm. if you make the next Commonwealth Games, I'll come and watch you. And it was four years later, I made the team in Delhi, ran the 5K and the 10K, ended up coming seventh in both. And my mate true to his word, was sitting in the stands over there watching. So, so good. So it was probably, yeah, there was a lot to get to that point, but it was watching those Commonwealth Games where I just said, okay, you've talked about it for long enough. I think I was mid-20s, you know, I couldn't really leave it much longer. And I didn't announce it to too many people. I told a few close friends that I was going to see how far I could get with this sport. And, um, yeah, ended up 
leaving Victoria, moved back to Sydney, um, joined up with a coach, started working in a running shoe store, just try, tried to surround myself with mm. the running culture. And, yeah, I, I, things sort of started snowballing from there and I started being able to have running as a social outlet as well, yeah. a big squad of people. We'd go out for breakfast afterwards, that sort of thing. And mm. I remember one one moment where I realised I'd definitely changed my lifestyle was um, – you know, I used to, during the clubbing days, I'd, I'd be one of those seedy guys hanging around going to day clubs, so sort of stumbling out of nightclubs at five, six in the morning looking for the next place to go. And and often that was in the Oxford Street sort of area, around that area. And uh, to drive to training when I was living over in Dremoyne, I would come up Oxford Street and I'd often see people. It was early in the morning, so I'd see people stumbling out of these clubs. And I was. it wasn't that long ago that I was one of them and here I was, you know, bright and early heading to training and I just felt the greatest sense of accomplishment. And I was like, okay, this is, this is more who I am and what I should be doing and the people yeah. I feel mo- more comfortable around. And it was, yeah, it was a good change. And, yeah, I guess things sort of progressed from there. Yeah. It's so interesting how you basically described two separate scenes that you got into and then excelled at. <laughs> but yeah. in both the same way. You know, you got immersed in it, you surrounded yourself with the people that are in it and it's, it's so easy to get sucked into it. I mean, as, he, as someone who's been a young man, it certainly wasn't uh, Bathurst, but, you know, Brisbane in the, in the 80s and 90s wasn't the thriving metropolis it is now. Yeah. But it's so easy as a young Australian man to just get sucked into that. Yeah. To get yeah. sucked into that. Well, it's, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Will you have a beer? Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing with, with drinking and partying, it's instant gratification. So as a young guy, lots of hormones, you know, you, you, if you feel like doing something, you can go out that night and have a, a, what, what seems like a bloody good time. Mm. With running, it's more, you know, it's a long way down the track that you're going to get the, the, the end result from what you want to do. So I think it probably might have been maybe needing to hit rock, hit rock bottom and, and, you know, grow up a little bit, have hormones change that I started to be able to put in the time and energy yeah. in, in terms of... Um, did yeah, you just, run into anybody in your new life from the old life? What happened to you? Did you get any of that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, every now and then, like, I'll, I'll get a message from someone, you know, particularly early early on when I probably just disappeared for a little bit and then someone might have been watching one of those City to Surfs that I was doing quite well at. I'd, I'd get a Facebook message going, that wasn't you, was it? Or I'd be running along and someone would scream out at me on the side of the course. And, yeah, so initially um, people were quite shocked. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but um, and, and I've lost touch with some of the people that I was hanging out with back yeah. in those days. Just totally different lifestyles don't match up. But plenty of other people have kept in touch, and people have come along to watch me race where they can. And yeah. you know, a lot of them have gone through. Obviously, it's not a, a lifestyle you can sustain mm. for long. So a lot of them have gone through really good changes as well. And yeah. so yeah, I think um, you know maybe I've motivated a few people to to change their lifestyle, whether it's running or whether it's following another passion. But mm. um, you know, I guess I got into it quite late, and so you know, just shows that it's, it's not too late. It's often not too late. Yeah. So, yeah, you can just um, make some changes and, and make them consistently and you can chase your dreams, I think. It's, mate, it's just so... I, I guess, you know, from my perspective as someone who's definitely struggled with drinking and someone who's, who, like, you did what we, uh, those of us who are part of the super secret society would call a, um, <laughs> a geographic where my problem isn't me, my problem is where I am. So I'm going to move okay. and then you move. Yeah. But then guess where you, you always, yeah. you know, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. So for me it was now here I am in Los Angeles doing yeah. exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so the fact that you were able to 
not once but twice extract yourself to, to do enough of the things that broke those habit chains to get yourself up to Palm Cove where your lifestyle was so completely different. That was really lucky yeah, for you. absolutely. I mean, I'm just, you know, because for, for others uh, who have tried the similar thing, enough of those habits around the drinking, because it's not just the drinking, it's everything that goes with it. Like you mentioned, it's the people, it's the it's six o'clock on a Friday. I, have, I should be somewhere. Yeah. I should be somewhere with someone doing something. This is yeah. shit that I'm sitting here. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff tends to run through your head. Um, but, you know, no, six o'clock on a Friday, I'm at home chilling. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, there's, a, there's an element of, I, I do like to say when, when, People ask, you know, then they will always tell me, look, if you go after staying sober with half as much effort as you used to put into getting smashed, <laughs> you'll be fine. Because yeah. <laughs> when I think about the effort I used to put in, <laughs> it takes effort to it stay does. up till 10 it in does. the morning. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to plan ahead. Or, or to get through a work shift after a four-night <laughs> bender. Like that's, I think that prepared me well for, for being a long-distance runner. Yeah. I tell people sometimes I don't know what it's like just to feel normal because I went from being a binge drinking party animal to being a you know heavily trained training endurance athlete. So you know I, I don't know what it's like just to feel normal <laughs> to not either be hungover or absolutely smashed from training. So I'm looking forward to that at some point. <laughs> well, look, and I know it sounds cliche when you're in high school you don't want to believe it, but the chemicals your body manufactures after a training session, mm. like a really solid one. It's better than anything. The greatest highs of my life, and there's been a few, would uh, would have to be races where you absolutely nail it, where you, you've done mm. better than expected. You know, you might be in some city around the world and you cross the finish line and, you know, you might be getting drug tested or sitting on a bus stuck in traffic and it doesn't matter, you're just floating higher than yeah. anything. It's, it's the best feeling ever. Have you experienced that kind of transcendent feeling that runners report after, you know, that kind of runner's high thing? Have you felt yeah. that? Yeah, it's like... Uh, it doesn't come around as often as you'd like, but it does, and, and we're constantly, uh, you know, chasing that dragon again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there'd be a few occasions where it's just all fallen into place, and 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 you've yeah you, you're out running, and it's it's hard, but it's it's effortless at the same time. Mm. It's a it's an interesting feeling, and sometimes that can happen in a race. And yeah, I, can rem I remember one of my breakthrough runs would be down in Melbourne, a thing called the Melbourne Track Classic. It was in 2011, and we had a big international field over that year. Um, so we had Craig Mottram was there, the guy that I'd watched, you know, nearly win the Commonwealth Games a few years earlier. And he was racing some of my Australian idols, but then some international idols like uh, Bernard Legat was there, uh, one of the quickest 1500 runners ever, uh, world championship gold medalist. And I ended up having the race of my life, you know, I was probably ranked seventh or eighth going into it. And 200 metres to go, I'm on the shoulder of Bernard Legat, one of the top Americans behind me, and I'm actually racing him to the line. He ended up beating me, I ran a 15 second PB, but it was just one of those surreal moments where I was doing it, but at the same time I was kind of watching myself do it going, bullshit, this isn't happening. You're racing Bernard Legat. You're about to kick past Bernard Legat. Like it was, it was crazy for me. <laughs> um, and then obviously that sort of reset all my expectations uh -huh. and how people saw me as an athlete, how I saw myself. So then it was a lot harder from then to have another breakthrough performance. But, yeah. um, and then there's the other side of the coin where it can happen when you're out on a trail. You, I could be in the middle of nowhere running, you know, tops off, just listening to the birds and, and all of a sudden you're just, you're just feeling effortless. You, you're moving over the ground rather than bouncing, you know, running along it sort of thing. Uh, and that feeling is amazing. And more often than not, I'm dragging myself through, you know, sore legs, sore feet, 
Achilles aching and yeah, most of the training is a grind, but you do it because you know that you have to to be competitive or yeah. that you have to to get to that level of supreme fitness where you can feel effortless running and yeah, it's the balance is okay. You know, you grind through the tough ones and it always feels good when it's done. So when you are you were describing a life that it just has all this momentum behind it, whether it was the momentum to go out with people or the momentum to run, but you were, you were, or the momentum to train or to sell or the, the work you were doing in the door-to-door stuff. But you're describing a life where you've just constantly got this movement around you, all right? What's it like then when you're injured and you can't move? What happens to you? Yeah, that's, that's like the highs are amazing, but the lows are pretty, pretty tough as well. Um, yeah, I guess one of my, my worst injuries would probably be I tore my hamstring um, in 2015, a couple of weeks before I was meant to be running for Australia at the World Championships in Beijing. So you go from, you know, being in pretty good shape, you've got all these goals ahead of you, you're about to fly out, you know, join the Australian team, that sort of thing. And then next thing you're, you know, in a doctor's waiting room just being told that you, you're going to have to have surgery and, and it's it's a low moment. And then add to that the fact that, you're not able to run during those bad weeks as well, which is a, something that usually makes you feel better and gets all those hormones cranking. So it can be a really low low moment. But I guess the thing that I've always tried to do and, and been quite good at is, you know, you just need to realise where you are. So for, for me then it was, okay, the hamstring's torn. There's nothing I can do about that. World champs are over. Don't worry about that. You can, you can watch the race if you want. You can support your friends or you can ignore it completely. So from then on, it is, okay, what do I need to do right now to get me one step closer to where I want to be? What do I need to do tomorrow? Uh, what do I want to be doing two weeks from now? And then it's just back into it, you know? Sort of like I did initially, it was like, okay, I want to be running 10 minutes by the end of this week and then, you know, double that and that in some sessions, go to the pool, all that sort of stuff. And I think for me, I've also either been mentoring, coaching or, or working as well. So I've never really been a full-time athlete, maybe about six months or so leading up to the London Olympics. So I've just tried to put some energy back into those other areas. And the one that really helped me was um, coaching other people. So, you know, things aren't going great for me. I'm doing what I can, but then let's try and focus on how well everyone else is doing and, and try and draw some positivity from their good results, that sort of thing. So, And then you do that for long enough and next thing you know, you're back in reasonable shape and, you know, there's always, for me there has always been another race. So, you know, it, it might not go well, you might be disappointed, but a little bit of self-pity and, and learn what you can and then move forward. So, <laughs> what, do you, what do you get out of coaching others and helping others? Um, well, I think I feel like I've learnt so much along the way from, you know, what I went through, but also from being able to travel and talk to so many people in our sport all around the world that um, I just thought it'd be good. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. To try and help other people and 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 yeah, share some of that knowledge. So yeah, I've worked in a, a bunch of different roles. I was um, an in-house health and wellbeing consultant for ING Australia and ANZ, and so tried to just help make those companies healthy and productive while I was there, and it was a, it was a really good role. Um, then I worked with the Michelle Bridges 12-week body transformation, um, helped write those running programs, and I was an online support crew member for that, which was really good. I was able to help people going through lifestyle change, and there's a lot of a, 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 you know, a mindset side to that as well. But also that was an online job, so it allowed me to make a bit of money while I was travelling around the world trying to chase my own running dreams. Um, but then, yeah, about a year and a half to two years ago, uh, a business a friend of mine, Gary Howard, he's been my massage therapist and sort of assistant coach over the years. We started our own business called Run Crew. And basically we, yeah, we just help people achieve their running goals. And so for me, that was really much more hands-on, you know, rather than sort of coming in here and there and, and answering questions where we're able to do the programming and run the sessions and help plan races, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's been great watching people go through some of those positive changes that I went through myself as well. When you are coaching, because you can do everything but run it for them, you know. So what are you trying to, what are you trying to fuel people's brains with when they, when they come to you and they're like, this is, this is what I want to do, but I don't think I can? Or... Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Everyone's different. So some people come and we need to, you know, as far as the mindset goes, we need to convince them that they're capable of possibly more than they realise they can. Other people come to us and we need to almost pull them back a little bit and say, look, that's it's not, not, not trying to crush your dreams or anything, but that's a long way down the track. Let's... Um, Let's just get the process in place now and, and try and focus on areas that we can improve. And so, yeah, the, the main thing I've realised is that everyone is different. And so, yeah, I guess it's just about getting that work done initially and then, mm. you know, let's, let's choose a race and let's believe that anything's possible and absolutely attack it. The corporate stuff's interesting that companies of that size are putting someone like you on staff. Yeah, uh, I guess someone along the way figured out, well, if people are fit, they're going to make us more money. <laughs> it's true. And it's, it's, I mean, it's sad that it comes back to that. And that's not always the motivation, but um, it's an added bonus that yeah. if, if it, you know, and there, there has been research done where for every dollar spent on a good health and wellbeing program, you can end up saving, I don't know, four or five. I haven't looked at it for a number of years, but yeah, a, a, a fitter company is uh, more productive. So when they get to work, they're probably working harder, but they're also less sick days. Um, they feel more engaged. It's a great way for people from different parts of the business to get together and exercise at lunchtime, that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of positives involved in that sort of stuff. Do you think there's uh, a future where we, it won't just be those massive corporates that can afford to do that? Do you think there's a future where it'll be a part of just kind of business Cultures I think going so. Through. I think it needs to be. People are spending longer and longer at work, so if they can 
get that sort of stuff. But also at home, work follows me everywhere. Yeah, it's true. bloody fine, yeah, man. Yeah. Poor Audrey has to deal with me answering emails at 10 at night and yeah. I'm editing scripts till for a fuck o'clock, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you, you, you spend a lot of time on your bike. You do a lot of your exercise commuting to and from work. I try to, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the only way I found that I could get all my training done while I was working full-time as well was trying to kill, time, kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So I, I was working in the city and I'd do a lot of my running on the way to or from work, uh-huh. um, sometimes sneak in something at lunchtime or yeah. get off early enough to go and do a session. But, yeah, I think you've got to just find ways to, um, to save time and, yeah, if you, can, if you can get your exercise done on the way to and from work. I've got a friend here who lives in Bondi, works at the ABC. She walks to work. And, in Ultimo? Yeah, yeah. It's about an hour and a half. Yeah, probably. yeah, but you know, saves driving to a gym, getting on a treadmill, yeah. driving home, all that sort of stuff. And it's, yeah, I think, I think people need to realise that uh, it is not something that you might add on to your day or add on to your week. That it needs to be something planned into it because it's um, right. Yeah, I guess everybody's got something uh, where they can put either a walk or a ride into their day to day, whether it be pick up the kid from somewhere, even if it's a 10-minute walk or, you know, there's got to be something in everybody's day where you can just find that little bit. Yeah, and it's, it, it sometimes isn't the most convenient thing to do. Mm. There's a bit of planning involved, so, you know, that, that may be the reason people don't do it. But it's, it's worth the effort, I think, mm. you know, even if it's getting off the bus four stops early, still in your work gear, you know, you don't need to do the whole change of clothes shower, but just walking for 15 to 20 minutes each way on your way to work, on your way home from work, it's better than nothing. Mm. Yeah. What is, what is uh, Bridie, a friend of mine, Bridie O'Donnell, she does, uh, she calls it motivational interviewing. The classic line is like, oh, you don't have time. Do you have time to walk 20 minutes a day or do you have time to be dead 24 hours a day? You <laughs> yeah, tell me. That's, that's a good line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it often isn't until someone gets a scare like yeah. that that they realise, okay, I've got to, you know, I can't put this off any longer. Well, I'm, what, I'm 42 now and there's, there's definitely people in my life who are my age or a little bit older now and they're, they're carrying, well, I'm probably, probably 10 or 15 kilos bigger than I'd like to be, but there's guys close to me who are bigger, yeah. like 40 kilos more than they should be. And it was like once you get over 40, you you really can't risk it because it's, it's going to end. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, guys would be dropping dead of heart attacks before 50 all over the place. Yeah. Because back then it was like, we'll have steak for breakfast, <laughs> <Yeah>. cigarettes <laughs> yeah. and pies for lunch. That's it. And I think like living in this sort of area and, and spending a lot of time around the eastern suburbs yeah. and beaches and Centennial Park, we've probably got a little bit of a warped view of what the yeah. average person oh, is absolutely. actually like. So, yeah. Yeah. Without Without it. Without a doubt, how Im- how important is it? Do you think uh, for people to be aware of that though? Because we have, you know, you, you don't have to watch too much TV. I mean, let me ask this question instead. How important is it to, as you said, it happened twice in your life? Now, do you encourage others to surround themselves with people that are heading in a similar trajectory when you're coaching people? I mean, we don't always get into that level of detail, but. Mm. Um, I think just by coming to a, a running coach and coming to a running group, they're already in some ways doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we do have some online clients and that sort of thing and where possible we try to encourage them to get running buddies or, or, or you know, sort of, yeah, surround themselves mm-hmm. with other people because I think it's, it's so much easier when you've got that momentum of other people around you doing it as well, mm-hmm. you know, on a day where you might otherwise say, you know what, 
I'm not going to train today. I'm just going to just going to get a tub of ice cream, sit around and, you know, watch Netflix or something. But if someone else is meeting you out for a run, they'll be messaging you saying, come yeah. on, let's go. So yeah. I think definitely, and it doesn't mean abandoning your friends that aren't involved in what you want to do or anything like that, but just trying to have that network where, you know, you sort of, they motivate you, you motivate them and you, you're definitely doing it as a, as a group, as a mm. team and you're more accountable and, yeah, I, I think, I think it, it's a good way to do it for makes sure. Makes it way, pretty much, if, it's, if you're trying to learn how to crochet, whatever, yeah. as long as you surround yourself with other people that are doing a similar thing, it makes it, it takes the onus of, um, uh, what's the word, the, the inertia to start a movement. Yeah. Like if you're, if, if you're trying to push a car, it, it's really hard to start it. But once you get it going, yeah, it's pretty easy. Absolutely. You don't have to do that whole first push yourself. If you're, yeah. say, for example, you're going for a ride, you're going for a surf, I don't know, if you want to code something, you want to sit down, okay, we'll come over to my house this weekend, we'll all code together, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, well, they say many hands make light yeah, work and yeah. uh, with running it's, I guess it's many feet and you've still got to do the running yourself. But <laughs> yes. Yeah, if, you know, even even now I, I probably do 50% of my running on my own Yeah. but I still try to get out with, with groups and, and set, you know, appointments to go and run with people mm. and that sort of thing because... Yeah, otherwise you can just the procrastinating and it takes a lot of mental energy to keep mm. talking yourself into things and out of things and that oh, sort of yeah. stuff. So if you can just take that out of it. Sometimes it feels worse it. if I don't go running. Oh, Sometimes yeah. it feels worse. I, I beat myself up all day. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good at that. What's <laughs> it? Okay, this is a phone call I am sure I'm never going to get. So I'm interested to know what it sounds like. Mate, you've made the Olympic team. What's that phone call <laughs> like? Well, it's interesting. So... The first time I qualified for the Olympics, I so so to make the team for the Australian track and field team, you need to run a qualifying time, mm-hmm. but then you also, to some degree, need to finish high in a high enough place at the trials. So, for for my first Olympics, uh, which were London in 2012, I actually ran the qualifying time on the very first day you were able to. So I was at a race over in the US at Stanford University. Um, they'd actually put that race back a day, I think, because they realised that the, the Olympic qualification window had opened. So oh. it was meant to be the, da- the, the day before, but it ended up being the first day of qualification and things hadn't been going great for me leading up to it. I'd been, you know, having some training slumps, things like that. Um, but thankfully it all came together on the night and I ended up breaking the Australian 10K record, uh, ran a 40-second PB and was 21 seconds under the Olympic A standard. So that was box one ticked, but it was so far in advance that... You're like, you don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Um, and also, interestingly, we have our 10K Olympic trial or national championships in December. So it's not traditionally when most other people would have it. So that year, or every year, it's down in Melbourne at the Zatopec uh, Classic. And I was lucky enough to win it on that night. So in basically in December, and the Olympics weren't, you know, until halfway through the next year. So I basically knew that I was on the Olympic team that time. So crossing the line in Melbourne that night was amazing. I had some friends and family there and I basically knew that barring injury or some, something crazy happening, I was going to be on the Olympic team. Wow. So, but you were the first Aussie to qualify in 12 years? Well, yeah, there hadn't been anyone since 2000. Yeah. Yeah, so there was no, one, no men in the 10K in uh, Athens or Beijing. So, yeah, that was pretty cool to, to make the team for London and... Uh, and then, yeah, so that time I don't know if there ever really was a phone call, but right. uh, for this last one I was... But, it, so, uh, but I'm just asking because it's not like, say, for example, with, uh, I don't know, 
soccer or cycling or, or something like that, you know, there's a selector that will go, okay, you're on the squad. Yeah. You just have to get over a certain time set by an international standard. Yeah. Like every runner that can go faster than this, if you can go faster than this, you, you can get in a heat yep. at the Olympics. Yep. Wow, yep. that's great. Yeah, so, yeah, so it was um, the time was 27.45 for London um, and I ran 27.24 uh, that year, so it was well under and for... Um, for for a Rio, it was uh, they 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 scrapped the A and the B standard. They just had one time, and it was twenty eight minutes. And so, also at Stanford, this time in two thousand and fifteen, I ran twenty seven forty four, which was my third fastest time ever. And it was one second under the qualification for the World Championships in Beijing that I ended up missing with a torn hamstring. But it was well under the Olympic standard, so that was great. But I then tore my hamstring yeah. and had to have months off training, and so that. There was no way of me running the selection trials that year in, in uh, down in Melbourne. So then it became a matter of seeing what the other Aussies did, who else ran the qualifying times, who won the trial, and then trying to show the selectors that I'd recovered from the hamstring surgery and was, was fit enough to make the team. So I, David McNeil, uh, who also ran a qualifying time in that race in Stanford, he was about half a second behind me. He won the trial, and so he was an automatic selection. So that was awesome. We were definitely going to have at least one 10K guy at the Rio Olympics um, and then, you know, things progressed really well for me and I was able to run the 5K selection trial in, I think it was late March or early April and I was third there, uh-huh. almost won that, only a, a second or so off the win and I guess that was enough to show the selectors that I was recovered from hamstring surgery. So I was actually at my London training base uh, just at a cafe doing some work and my phone rang and I was like, I don't recognise this number but I answered it and it was someone from Athletics Australia to say, Look, selectors have met you're on the team for Rio. And even though I, I sort of knew I would be, it was such a good call to make and uh, call to get. And so, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a pretty miserable day in London that day, but I was walking around, just a big smile on my face. And uh, Who's the first person you call after you get that call? Uh, well, I think I, I called, my, called my parents, but it was, yeah, you know, they, they had sort of expected it as well. <laughs> but I was staying with some friends um, in London at the time, a, a mate of mine from up in the Blue Mountains who's over there. Uh, playing professional rugby and his wife who I was really good friends with and so I kind of got back and we were having dinner and chatting and stuff and talking about how their days were and that sort of thing. I said, oh, yeah, I got the call today. I, I made the Olympic team. And <laughs> to me it's kind of, you know, because I, I've done it before and at the time I'm surrounded by this other group of people over there yeah. training who the Olympics is just what you do and everyone's mm. preparing for it and I made one before. So you sort of forget how special it is and so they they blew up at me. They're like, what? And we're not out celebrating. And so they made sure the next next night we went out and had a nice meal and a, a, had a beer to celebrate. But, yeah, it's funny when you – as a kid, if someone said you are going to make two Olympics, I would have you know, thought that was the most amazing thing ever. But when you're immersed in that lifestyle and surrounded by other people, yeah. that's just what they do. It's sort of so – I'm busy in the just, backyard here in Bathurst trying to figure out how to make a bucket bong out <laughs> yeah. of this Everfail water bottle. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> – yeah, so that was quite funny and it sort of brought, brought me back to realise, yeah, you should be pretty pumped to be, you know, making Olympic teams wow. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So when it does come to partying, does parts of the old you still crop up and go, this is what we do, we go till 10 in the morning? <laughs> Occasionally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's been a few times and, you know, it might be every now and then when I'm, when I'm injured or something like that and mm. I'll catch up with some of the old guys that I used to roll around with and, yeah, I might have a night here and there where I, I slip back into bad habits and, you know, they... They probably enjoy having the old Benny back around and uh, <laughs> doing some crazy stuff. But, yeah, I always wake up the next day and you've just, you'd, you know, no regrets is a bit of fun, but also I realise, okay, this, this feeling I've got this. But you've got to pee in a cup at the end of the day somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, 
it's just like, okay, this is why I changed my yeah, lifestyle. I don't, yeah. I don't particularly enjoy this. But look, you know, we, we you can't drink regularly, you can't party regularly and be a good athlete. But there are times where your season might be over, you might be finishing with a, you know, I finished one season with a race down Fifth Avenue in New York, a mile down Fifth Avenue, and I had a week's holiday planned in New York and so you just, you're like, all right, well, this is a chance to let my hair down. So, you know, you you still got to live a normal life and enjoy yeah. enjoy where you are and, and, yeah, have a bit of fun. But it's just you can't do it too often yeah. or, you know, yeah. It's so not- what, would you, what would you say to people who are in a romantic relationship or an intimate relationship with someone who likes to run and is like, why do you want to – it's five in the morning. Why are you getting out of bed? What would you say to them about why – just let them run. What would you say to them about that? Well, I mean, it is – pretty time consuming and I'm sure it might have broken down some relationships over the time over the years but um, yeah just think of what what else they could be doing there's a lot worse things you could be doing with your time than going out running and uh, <laughs> yeah uh, be supportive where you can yeah. you know? um, runners are usually pretty pretty chilled out people it tends to relax you and mm. you know take the edge off it it'll probably be helping uh, their mental health over the <laughs> over the years but um yeah, look, I'm single, so I'm, I'm probably not the right person to be giving <laughs> advice here. I've chosen running over relationships over the right. last uh, last number of well, years. Well, I don't know. So. From what I hear, those Olympic villages are pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, well, they can be. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess just, you know, let them get their running done and, yeah, uh, yeah hopefully they'll they'll get the race out of the way and return to normal soon before after. Before Brazil, we were told that the world is going to end, every athlete's going to get sick, oh, terrorism's going to explode, Maracana Stadium. Did you see anything? Look, we, we sort of take all that with a grain of salt because we've been through it so many times, like, oh, it's going to get cancelled, they're going to move it back to Sydney, all this sort of stuff. And the only one that almost lived up to how bad they talked about it was Delhi. Mm. And that was my first ever championship, the the Com Games in Delhi. And that was, you know, there were we were basically held prisoner in the athlete village. We weren't allowed out. The athlete village hadn't been finished. Um, I remember I got there, flight in was late one night. We got driven um, from the airport to the athlete village. We were told to keep our heads down just in case anyone decided to shoot at the vehicle. We had a, a, lead, a lead vehicle with a bunch of um, soldiers in it. We had, like, guys on motorbikes with machine guns. They got us into the village. Uh, I went in there. It was middle of the night. Didn't know who my roommate was. He was asleep. But I was like, all right, I'm going to have a shower, use the bathroom, and then go to bed. So I went in, shower didn't work, went to use the toilet. There was solid concrete set in the toilet, so couldn't use the toilet. So I had a piss in the sink and then found a, a little hose that came out from behind the sink. I guess it's used for um, hosing down the toilet. I kind of hosed my face with that a little bit and I was like, all right, that'll do. And went and lay on my bed, which was a piece of hard wood. Uh, and no mattress? No mattress, or not that I could tell. And it was, it was like three in the morning, so I think I've just got to get through this and don't, try not to wake up my roommate until the morning and then I'll be right. And I uh, couldn't realise why I didn't have the air conditioning on. It was stinking hot over there. So I turned the air conditioning on. It started squirting water out into the room. So that was broken. So I was like, all right, I'll just lay here. So I ended up just not sleeping a wink and uh, just lay there until morning, realised that my mattress had been put on upside down and they'd put the sheets and everything over that. So I flipped that over and it wasn't as bad and... You know, we found a toilet that worked within our, our little, you know. Was your roommate an athlete or just some dude? Yeah, yeah, he was Fabrice Lapierre. Yeah, he ended, oh, up right. winning, ended up winning gold in the long jump. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I, but, just, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even like, know who it was. Yeah, but it was just like, okay, I don't know who this is, but I don't want to disturb him. So, and, and that was a, you know, nothing had been finished there. It was a, a great games and it was awesome and, you know, we, yeah. all, we all ran. It was, it was well enough organised to, yeah. you know, hold the games. But since then, nothing's been anywhere near as bad as they say right. it's going to be. And so Rio was... 
you know, there, were, there was a bit of street crime that you had to be careful of, but yeah, it's but like that in every city. Yeah, this happens um, in Sydney. I'm sure, like, the village, it was fine by the time we got there. There was some plumbing issues, so you couldn't flush toilet paper, that sort yeah. of thing. But anyone who's done a bit of travelling knows that there's places like that around the world. And yeah. the food was good. Um, the people were f- extremely friendly. So I, rather than, you know, getting mugged or kidnapped or anything, I experienced the opposite of people going out of their way to be generous and, yeah. you know, giving us rides. If they saw us waiting for an Uber, they might give us a lift. Because you all got all the accreditation on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, there were some areas to avoid, but, yeah, I, I, I think it was great. And I'd love to go back to Rio and spend a bit more time there and actually Amazing experience place. the city a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. So I was only there for about five days, but it's just still I got – there was – Considering what that country was 40 years ago, considering what they came out of politically, it was a very, very hardcore place to be and they only really have kind of more democracy, I guess, such a small small amount of time. Considering that they're pretty much figuring it out still, amazing country. Yeah, so I think – and I think just – you know, I was in Sydney as a fresh-faced 18-year-old just enjoying the vibe when the Sydney Olympics were on and then London was amazing. You know, I think cities – it might not be – what they're normally like, but, you know, Rio during the Olympics was, was awesome. Yeah. 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 When you um, get to work with the Indigenous Marathon Project, I mean, I've had Deke sit in that chair. I mean, to have Deke in my house was something <laughs> else, man, seriously. Yeah. Um, Robert De Costello we're talking about, he uh, broke the world record in Japan. Yeah, the Japan Marathon, 81, before the uh, Commonwealth Games. Yeah, Fukuoka um, maybe. Pardon? Fukuoka, yeah, I think it, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 201, 207. Well, he, he's run 207.51, but that was in Boston. Boston. That's his, yeah. Yeah, I think 209, I can't remember. Anyway, it was yeah. fucking fast. <laughs> it was yeah. the world record at the time. Yeah. Um, when you work with people from the Indigenous Marathon Project, uh, I mean, anyone who does their first marathon goes under an enormous transformation, no matter what, because just of what it is and what you're setting out to achieve. To do it from zero to well, by the time you get there is, is huge. What's it like to see it? Um, from that, that perspective when you're working with the uh, IMP? Yeah, well, I mean, mine isn't a hugely hands-on role with them, so I'm not, I'm not writing their programs or mm. working with them or anything like that, but I know a lot of them are plucked out of these amazing little communities where, you know, if I thought coming to do the City to Surf was a big deal, coming from the Blue Mountains, you know, coming from some of these small communities mm. to go to New York City and run the marathon, like, that's massive. And uh, for them, they're, they're really... I guess they're doing it for themselves, but they're also representing the community, <clears throat> the community that they come from and representing them, you know, for Australia on the world stage. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just huge. And watching them, you know, initially they're probably shit scared of running a full marathon, but, you know, with good guidance and, and progressive steps along the way, I know they have their 30K trial race that sort of gives them enough confidence to go over and do it. And, yeah, they, uh, they undergo a huge transformation and then, you know, one of the biggest things about the program is that then they, they go back to their community and they are an example of, you know, what, where a healthy lifestyle can take you and what opportunities mm. might be out there. And so they try to get back and spread the word of, you know, running and health and healthy eating and, and you know, they start these deadly fun runs around Australia that try to get more people out and running and that sort of thing. So, you know, running can be, in its, at its core, it's a pretty selfish sport. You're out there training yourself to see how good you can be. But I think with things like the Indigenous Marathon Foundation, it's it's not just for them, it's for their community and for Indigenous mm. people and that sort of thing. So anything where we can make inroads into the discrepancies there is good. So Not everyone's going to run a marathon. Not everyone's going to be an Olympic, Olympian. 
But there's people listening who might be thinking, you know what, I used to love running and I don't do it anymore. What would you say to them as the you know, easiest way to, to kind of even start getting back into it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I truly think that we were, we were made to run. You know, we are – the body will adapt to just about any sort of exercise you give it. So I remember when I first did my session, first session trying to get out of that lifestyle, I could barely run for five minutes, you know. And so it just shows how deconditioned I was but then how well the body will adapt. So if you want to get out, just start with five minutes. Go for a five-minute walk. That's, that's a better than nothing. Five-minute walk. Five-minute walk, you know, it just depends how inactive you've been. And then, you know, build that up to a 30-minute walk and then keep it at 30 minutes but walk for four minutes, run for one minute. Walk for four minutes, run for one minute. When you feel comfortable with that, walk for three minutes, run for two minutes. Walk for three minutes until you, you know, so increase the run, decrease the walk until you're running nonstop for 30 minutes. And that's a start. Um, then you can start building from there and, and you know, but... It's just getting out the door and you want to try and do it probably at least twice a week initially, three times if you can, and then, yeah, just build up from there and you'd be surprised how well the body adapts. The, the kind of, then that kind of magical thing happens where you start to miss it if you don't do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, there's running comes with associated overuse injury risks and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff, but that's really when you start pushing it and trying to run PBs and enter races and that sort of thing. Mm. If, you do it, if you do it properly and and you're looking after the body, it, it, you know, a lot of people think it wears out your knees and it's, it, it won't. It, it's really good for you. I heard this thing the other day. You know you're getting – and bear in mind I'm older than you. You know you're getting old when you no longer have left knee and right knee but you have good knee and bad knee. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you got one good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say over I was training for uh, I was training for a trail ultra when I did my uh, – Okay. Yeah, yeah. when I did my um, labrum. Uh, I think it was already there. But it was just the volume that I was yeah. that I was pushing, and I I changed shoes, I changed pitch of shoes in the middle of it all. Mm. Classic, big mistake. Classic error. Yeah. Which I, was the race you were going to do? Uh, it's the um, uh, what's it called? The Bulldog Ultra, which is in the Malibu Mountains. Oh wow! Um, it's a Bulldog 50k. Okay. Uh, so it's a trail, and some of it's you. Some of it you're literally on hands and knees because yeah. you're talking like a 40 degree rock okay. face. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I'd done the um, the same crew, they're the same people that put on bad water. Yep. All right. And so they do a few different bigger runs around uh, California during the year. And so they take it very, very seriously. And so I'd done this half trail with them and it was just the best, yeah. the best, best, best to do a half marathon trail run. And I loved it so much. Um, and so then I was training for this, this ultra, but on the same, same paths around okay. there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something. There's something well, tra about trails, yeah, man. Trail something running, about trails. It's booming at the moment. It's taking off. There's a lot, a lot of people, you know, that don't, you know, road running. They don't really love it. It's sort of just pounding the pavement. But mm. trail running, they tend to be held in beautiful locations. Mm. So you know, you you might be up in the Blue Mountains as the, the Ultra Trail Australia events held up in the Blue Mountains, twenty two k, fifty k, or a hundred k, and you're in a World Heritage National Park. You know, it's it's amazing and. I know my housemate, he's a runner and he's preparing, he wants to do this one, it's called the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, so over in the Alps. Uh, wow, in and front. It's, it's 100 miles, so Whoa, 160, 160 k's. k's of up and down mountains. But uh, Wow. Yeah, it's, if you, you know, 
if you're going to run a 160Ks, you may as well do it in a beautiful location <laughs> like that. Do you get to have a, a, a pacer? Do you get to have a pacer after a certain point? Uh, I'm not sure. You might be able to get someone to jump in. I've, and, I've, and heard, have, I've, yeah. heard, I've talked to people who've done... Some races you can, yeah, they'll run, run the last yeah. 50K with you or whatever. I'm not yeah, sure about that. There's a mate of mine, Rich, who um, crewed for Dean Carnesis. Okay. Uh, Dean, is that how you say his last name? Canazes, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, on Badwater, he did okay. he, for last year. He crewed yeah. for Dean on Badwater and paced him overnight. Yeah. Because apparently, once once you get over like double marathon distance, um, you, things start to get pretty wacky. <laughs> I can you imagine. start to see shit. <laughs> you just kind of need someone yeah. <laughs> to follow. Go, no, that's not actually a horse jumping out at me. It's just yeah, <laughs> my eyes playing tricks on me. That's. Yeah, have you ever thought of doing that kind of stuff? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. So I think my track career is probably winding down a little bit. Um, I'm hoping to run some marathons over the next few years. Okay. Uh, maybe try to qualify for the marathon for the Commonwealth Games there on the Gold Coast next year. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I don't want to stop running, but at some point I've probably got to admit that, you know, the elite athlete career is over. But I love the idea of getting out on the trails. And, you know, I grew up in the Blue Mountains side. Mm-hmm. My family are all still out there, so when I can, I get out there and do a lot of running on the trails. And I think that's where I feel most at home is out running on the trails. Like yeah. I love racing and I love track racing and road racing and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I think there's definitely some trail running in my future. And even if it's just to, to stay fit and get yeah. those competitive juices flowing, you know, in, into my older age, I think I'll be involved in some of those races. Well, there's a, uh, there's a coast to coast in New Zealand that okay. actually Audrey's cousin, her husband, has done it twice. And... Um, uh, one year he finished 11th. Wow. They basically go from the Pacific to the Tasman across New Zealand. Yeah, that'd be and, amazing. And some of, the, some of the running is over the tops of ranges. Yeah. And so you're at like 2,500, 3,000 metres. Yeah. And uh, they're 30, 40Ks through streams, yeah. up and down ridge lines. Like, yeah, so we, we you know, as, as endurance athletes, we do a lot of altitude training. So in Australia, we've got, you know, the snowfields, Falls Creek in Victoria. So we go down and do altitude training down there. But we generally avoid the peaks and the trail, you know, the really technical trails. Mm. We do a bit of training at a place called um, Laguna Mountain over in the USA near San Diego. And I've done some training in the Swiss Alps, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. because we're preparing for track races, you know, we run some hills, but generally we're avoiding the big mountains and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it feels like, you know, you, you see a mountain and you want to climb it, you want to run up it and that sort of thing. So I know there have been times where I've been at these training camps and every day I'm just looking at these mountains saying one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to yeah. try and run up that, that sort of thing. So maybe maybe post-competitive career I'll be able to go back to a few of those spots and run up those mountains yeah. that I've been spent so many times looking at. Why is it that the the once you started getting into those bigger distances, a uh, marathon at 42.1K and, um, you know, double marathons and ultra, why is it that the athletes that do those are – are generally older, generally like over 30? I think, um, I think as you age, you, you lose a bit of that explosiveness. You, you lose speed. You're probably at a higher injury risk if you're trying to you know, match what you were doing when you were younger, running 5Ks on the track, that sort of thing. But your endurance can continue to build and can continue to grow. So I think you know, for me, I'm moving to marathon now because I, I feel like I may have achieved all that I can on the track, but there's still... But the headspace is so different, though, as well. Yeah, true. So I think, I think it's also, you know, sometimes it's seen as you, you just move up over your career. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might go 1,500 up to 5K, 5K up to 10K, 10K marathon, or maybe that's just that next progression on from there is getting up into the ultras and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, that, that's how, I, how I'm looking at it, that I'll still hopefully be able to be competitive um, yeah. as the distance gets longer when I'm probably not going to be quite so competitive. Well, I would, I would have loved to – I've only run three marathons and a couple of halves, but uh, – and, and Dick was saying that no matter who you are, you, you hit that wall at about 30Ks. That's pretty much when your, you know, available stores of glycogen have vanished. Yeah. And, you know, that's where the pain, no matter how fit you are, that's when the pain starts. I would have loved to have – shit, man, I, you know – I, I, I know what it's like to sprint for 14 k's <laughs> up Break Hill. On the, I would have loved to have that, being able to just remind my body. No, yeah. no, no. I know how to do this. Yeah, you know, to have that in your arsenal to because I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you. And my running is nothing compared to yours. But being able to remind yourself, oh, this this pain that I'm feeling, this desire to stop, has actually it's just a thought, and I can change my mind. And this desire to stop is just something that I can change. And I just have to remember that, you know, I have run faster and longer before and I'll just, I'll just get to that next corner. I'll just get to that next hill. And that's the thing that gets you through because the rest is just form, I guess, you know, if you can keep your feet going in the straight line. Yeah, a lot of the battle's mental for sure. And it's, yeah. uh, it's learning to ignore that voice in your head, just like you say. Yeah. So, um yeah, the marathon, definitely uncharted territory for me, but I think that's why I find it quite so appealing as well. Yeah. You know, a new challenge and I want to see what it's like. Everyone talks about this wall that you hit at some point. I want to, I want to experience it, you know. You haven't run a marathon? No, I never run. Oh, I've, shit. I've run, I've run a couple of half marathons and I've probably run up to 35, 36Ks right. in training but never, um, never run a marathon. So, yeah, I'm in the process of choosing where I'll, where I'll do my debut. I'm looking at there's a couple of good options in Japan as well. So, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no jet lag, good. Yeah, good, Japan, yep, good, good. time zone. That <laughs> a lot of them don't start till midday, so it's a bit of a relaxed morning. Some of the, oh, some of the big yeah. ones start pretty early in the morning, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't know what can I tell you about marathon. <laughs> the need to eat and the need to poo do get in the way. <laughs> okay. It does get in the way. Yep. You're like, yep. you're running for so long, your body's like, well, you know, it's going to be one or the other. Yeah, <laughs> you've yeah, been at this for a couple of hours now. Fueling's definitely something that uh, <laughs> that you don't need to worry so much about in 10k, even half yeah. marathon. You know, you do have enough fuel there to to get through it. So, yeah, for the marathon, that's something that I'll be you yeah. know, adding into my training and practicing with gels and all that sort of stuff. So. Oh, gels! <laughs> uh, they're either great or just make me want to puke. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. bananas. Yeah. Works yeah. for me. Yeah. Bananas, yeah. dates, also good. Yeah. Two, two things I eat regularly, bananas and dates. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the time. Nature's energy gel. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw a couple of dates in the back of my yeah. cycling jersey. Yeah. Away I go. Yeah. Do yeah. you go the medjool dates? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, good. Oh, I'm not here to find that other stuff. Yeah, Come on, mate. Yeah. You got the good <laughs> stuff. Oh, <laughs> um, Well, shit, now I'm going to have to bloody have to get running again. So I was standing, yeah, I was just thinking yesterday, actually, I was standing on this... Um, uh, hard studio floor. Uh, we did like a big shoot for the Arias. It was a 30 years of the Arias kind of okay. best moment special. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so, I'm just standing. I'm standing on the floor and my left hip is just killing me. I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's hurting when you're standing there, that's that's rough. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get that. Yeah. I'm going to have to get that sorted. Yeah. Um, well, mate, I'm stoked you came over. Thanks so much. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me. No, oh, I'm really grateful you made it. Yeah. This is, uh, this is killer. And um, pe- pe- people around Australia, you, you do online coaching as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Runcrew.com.au if they're interested, yeah. get in touch and, uh, yeah, we can help them out. Yeah, that's awesome. How long do you reckon it, it, would t- it could take people to go from zero to half an hour running? Six months? Yeah, six months at the longest. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. People, I've, I've worked with people, 
you know, the first time we go running, it's it's not running. You know, they're, they're, they're jumping from one foot to the other that it's, it's so unnatural. But you, you do it enough and you, and you have a bit of guidance and mm. you, the weight will drop and, and, yeah, you can get running. So I'd, I'd say you, you never want to rush it, but, yeah, six months, mm. you easily be running half an hour. Actually, speaking of the, the this cat that's done the coast to coast, he's got two little kids and... um. I've, I've read a bunch of, when I was right into it, I've read a bunch of running books and like the Headspace books and um, I really got into chi running for a while. I was right into that. Um, and he, uh, Danny, who, who is the chi running guy, he said, if you ever really want to see perfect running form, watch a three-year-old run. Yeah. And he's got this little three-year-old and he and I were out playing in his front yard and he's absolutely right. Yeah. The kid runs with such perfect form, like don't ever change. <laughs> it looks so natural, doesn't don't it? Don't ever change. Kind of falling forward a yeah, bit, yeah. hands totally relaxed, yeah. feet lifting perfectly, landing perfectly yeah, yeah, Nice relaxed face Completely. and everything. Yeah. And like his arms aren't pumping, you know, his hips aren't flying around, one yeah. arm's not crossing in front of the other. Yeah. Once you, you know, and I'm like, man, just don't, don't ever change because all that shit will <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Cool, man. Hey, thanks so much for coming over. No worries. Yeah, well, uh, if you do get back running, hit me up and we'll go for a jog. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm about to hit you up for your orthopod. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> go visit and see about some laparoscopy. Yeah. Awesome. I know just the guy, actually. Oh, excellent. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm going to take your photo and then... Uh, awesome, then let's do it. We're done. All right, cool. Thanks, Thanks, That was Ben St. Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at Benny Saint, B-E-N-N-Y-S-A-I-N-T. Let him know that you heard him here. Send him a photo of the run that you go and take now that you've heard that. It's a pretty inspirational tale. A big thanks to Andy Marr, my audio producer, and Hayley Van Spagna, my production coordinator. Those two people have helped me make this show for you, and we could only do this, the three of us could only do it, because everyone who supports on Patreon has given their hard-earned to help us out. Uh, little as five bucks a month can help us out. The price of a fancy cup of coffee once a month can help make sure this show gets to you every single week. Uh, so it's a big good night now from South Africa where we've had to shut the windows because they said, oh yeah, keep the windows shut because the baboons come and they make an awful mess. They're very naughty because nobody wants naughty baboons. So yeah, I'm going to go and have dinner with the boss because he's here and um, go to sleep. Thanks so much for being here. Until we talk next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.